Shalom. I'm Yaakov, and you're listening to Line Upon Line, a podcast dedicated to a Messiah-essential understanding of the Scriptures. In this episode, we complete our study of Sefer Amos, the scroll of Amos, with Amos chapter 9. I'm going to begin by reading my translation from the Hebrew text, starting at Amos 9 verse 1. I saw the Adonai standing upon the altar, and he said, Strike the top of the pillars, and quake the thresholds, and cause them to cut into the head of them all. And afterward, with the sword, I will slay them. They will not escape. To them, fleeing will not deliver, not even the refugee. Though they dig into Sheol, the holding place of the departed, From there my hand will fetch them. And though they ascend to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. And though they withdraw, hiding in the head of the Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them forth. And though they attempt to conceal themselves from my eyes on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. And though they go into captivity before the face of their enemies, from there I will command the sword and it will kill them, and I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Adonai yud who goes warring, the one who touches on the land so that it melts. And mourning will come on all those who live in it and ascend like a river on all, and they will sink like the flooding river of Egypt. The builder of the heavens which ascend and abound upon earth has founded the calling to the waters of the sea and poured them out upon the face of the land. Yudhe is his name. You are not like children of Ethiopia to me, you children of Israel declares yud hey vav Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines, from Kaftor and the Arameans, from Kur? Behold, now, pay attention, the eyes of the Adonai, yud hey vav are on the kingdom of Sin, and I will destroy her from upon the face of the earth, ceasing nevertheless for I will not utterly eliminate the peculiar house of Yaakov, declares yud hey vav For behold, now pay attention, I with a command will shake all the nations, and the peculiar house of Israel as when sifting in a sieve, but not one kernel will fall to the ground. In the sword, death will come to all the sinners, of my people, those who say no evil will overtake or come against us. In that day, I will raise up the specific fallen sukkah of David, and I will wall up its breaches, and its ruins I will raise up, and I will rebuild it because of the days of eternity, for the purpose that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares yud vav who fashions this. Behold, now, pay attention. 
Days are coming, declares yud heh vav when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes will overtake the one who sows the seed. When the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will melt, I will return the captivity of my people Israel and rebuild the cities left desolate and they will live in them and plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit and I will plant them on their land and they will not be uprooted perpetually again from their land which I have given them, says yud vav your God. Now let's take a look at each verse line upon line, beginning with verse 1. Verse 1 reads, I saw the Adonai standing upon the altar, and he said, Strike the top of the pillars, and quake the thresholds, and cause them to cut into the head of them all, and afterward with the sword I will slay them, they will not escape. To them fleeing will not deliver, not even the refugee. So we have this first phrase, I saw the Adonai standing upon the altar. We note that while in the previous chapter the text spoke about a temple at Bethel and not the temple in Jerusalem, the present text uses the definite article when referring to the altar in Jerusalem, and not to an altar anywhere outside of Jerusalem. Therefore, this last chapter of Amos brings to mind the first two chapters in which Judah and the surrounding nations are indicted along with the northern tribes, and thus draws together the twelve tribes under a nationwide judgment, both in the land of Israel and in exile among the nations, who are also judged in verse 9 of the present chapter. Further to this, the proper noun yud heh is not used here. Rather, the Hebrew Adonai, Master, Lord, is used, and this with the very particular proto-definite article, it. In short, the Adonai being referred to is the person of yud heh manifest in a particular form. It is therefore clear that the Lord who stands al upon the altar and not beside it, as many English translations misrender, is Immanuel, God with us, the King Messiah. We are reminded also that Mizbeach, altar, comes from the root Zabach, slaughter. Where Judah and Israel had failed to properly honor the altar of yud heh God would bring slaughter. Not the slaughter of annihilation, but the slaughter of discipline. Interestingly, the Targum reads, Amos the prophet said, I saw the glory of the Lord removing from the Cherub, and it dwelt upon the altar. The inference of the Aramaic Targum paraphrase is that because Israel had not offered acceptable sacrifices on the altar, the manifest presence of God had moved from between the Cherubim in the Holy of Holies and was standing upon the altar. 
The positional representation of the person of God standing on the altar is therefore understood as an indication that his manifest presence was about to ascend. Thus the inference is that God's manifest presence will depart from Israel for a time. The next phrase reads, And he said, Strike the top of the pillars and quake the thresholds, and cause them to cut into the head of them all. In the context of the altar, the striking of the top of the pillars is a reference to the top of the pillars of the temple, which are used here metaphorically to denote the religious leaders of Judah and of Israel respectively. The quaking is yet another reference to the great earthquake prophesied in chapter 1, and the cutting of the heads denotes the slaughter of the heads of the tribes of Israel, beginning with the kings both of Judah and Israel, then the priests, the nobles, and ending with the heads of the lowliest families. The Targum understands this prophecy to refer to the destruction of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. Given that the nature of Hebrew prophecy is cyclical and that numerous fulfillments are possible, it is equally acceptable to say that the prophecy also points forward to the destruction of the re-established temple, later modified and restored by Herod the Great, and its complete destruction at the hands of the Romans in 70 CE. Targum Yonatan reads, And he said, Unless the people of the house of Israel return to Torah, the Menorah shall be extinguished. King Josiah shall be killed and the house destroyed, and the courts dissipated, and the vessels of the house of the sanctuary shall go into captivity, and the rest of them I will slay with the sword. The final phrasing of verse 1 reads, And afterward, with the sword, I will slay them. They will not escape. To them, fleeing will not deliver, not even the refugee. Simply put, with regard to the wicked among the people of Israel, not even those who flee the initial invasion will be able to escape the discipline of God. His discipline will follow them all the way into their captivity. Verse 2 reads, Though they dig into Sheol, the holding place of the departed, from there my hand will fetch them. And though they ascend to the heavens, From there I will bring them down. And though they withdraw, hiding in the head of the Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them forth. And though they attempt to conceal themselves from my eyes on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. The Hebrew poetic mechanism of repetition is employed here in order to emphasize the firmly established future disciplining of the people and the fact that no matter where they go, God is there. The depths of Sheol are coupled with the depths of the sea and the heights of the heavens with the heights of the Carmel mountain range, specifically the highest peak in that range, which is in the northwest of the land of Israel. 
The positional language regarding Sheol and the heavens is not distinguishing between the revisionist Christian notions of heaven and hell. Rather, the point being made is that no matter how deep you go or how high you ascend, there is no place you can go to escape God, in whom all things exist and have their being. Psalm 139.8 reads, If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the departed, you are there. The heavens are the metaphorical footstool of God, and the representation of life and the depths of Sheol are the positional representation of death, that is, the defeated fruit of sin, which resides, positionally speaking, far beneath his footstool. Death has been overcome by life in God through Messiah. Sheol is not hell, but is divided into Gan Eden, paradise, and Gehenum, torment or hell. Sheol is also not the grave. The Hebrew word for grave is kevil, above ground burial, piled stones, caves, tombs, and the like. Sheol is the temporal holding place of both the departed righteous and the departed wicked, the former dwelling in Gan Eden, paradise, and the latter in Gehenna, hell. At the resurrection all will rise and be judged, the righteous in Messiah unto eternal life, and the wicked into the second death, eternal torment. The next phrase reads, There I will command the serpent, and it will bite them. The serpent of the depths of the sea can be understood to refer to a number of enormous carnivorous sea creatures. As a figurative imagery, the text connects the serpent that seeded sin in Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, as devourer of sinners. In other words, Satan despises his own children. We note that the serpent is not afforded power to work of its own accord, but is under God's control. Verse 4 reads, And though they go into captivity before the face of their enemies, from there I will command the sword and it will kill them, and I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The captors of the ancient Levant were taken away at the head of invading armies. In this case, even while being led away, there will be many who are cut down on the journey to their final captive destination. Lamentations 1.5 reads, Her enemies have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the enemy. The next phrase reads, My eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good, says Proverbs 15.3. The forces of evil are given temporal permission. They are subject to God and his redemptive purposes. Evil is the fruit of a created being and will therefore one day be subject to judgment it will cease and implode, whereas good is an attribute of the all-existing Creator Himself and will therefore remain forever. The Targum here reads, My word 
shall be against them. Verse 5 reads, The Adonai yod who goes warring, the one who touches on the land so that it melts, and morning will come on all those who live in it, and ascend like a river on all, and they will sink like the flooding river of Egypt. The Adonai yod who goes warring, the one who touches on the land so that it melts, this is God in his warring against evil, who is depicted here as the destroyer of vile things in the land of Israel. The melting land is a euphemism for an earthquake, which is the prophesied mechanism of destruction alluded to throughout the scroll of Amos. The next phrase reads, And morning will come on all those who live in it. Not all will be destroyed, but all will be affected. Even the righteous remnant will mourn because of the loss of friends and family members who had not repented of wicked lifestyles. All alike will mourn the exile of the nation. We are fools to think that God will not bring discipline on the modern body of believers if we continue to syncretize paganism and walk in error. It's out of love, born of holiness, that God disciplines us as a people. The outworking of his justice begins with his children. Therefore, the days are coming when we too will all mourn. However, this is not a story of doom and gloom, but one of redemption. After all, in Scripture, mourning is synonymous with repentance. Zechariah 12.10 reads, And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Yerushalayim the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and shall weep bitterly for him as one who weeps bitterly for his firstborn. The final phrase of verse 5 reads, And ascend like a river on all, and they will sink like the flooding river of Egypt. The reference to the Nile of Egypt invokes a memory of bondage and a return to that which God had delivered Israel from. Israel was responsible for her own return to captivity, her bondage the result of corporate self-harm. Verse 6 reads, the builder of the heavens, which ascend and abound upon earth, has founded the calling to the waters of the sea and poured them out upon the face of the land. yod is his name. The Targum reads, Who causes to dwell in a high fortress the Shekinah of his glory. Once again, God is being described as creator the one who formed the heavens and the earth, the sky waters and the earth waters. Israel had sought to create a God like those of the nations around them, the calves of Jeroboam being a perfect example of the pathetic limitations that they had placed on their perception of God. Therefore, yod the God whose name is beyond human understanding, the creator of all things, who chose a tribe for himself, but is not limited by concepts of tribal deity, 
reminds his myopic and self-deluded people, Israel, that before he was called El Elohai Israel, God the God of Israel, he is the all-existing God in whom all things have their being. Verse 7 reads, You are not like children of Ethiopia to me, you children of Israel, declares Yudhei Have I not brought you up, Israel, from the land of Egypt and the Philistines, from Kaftor and the Aramaeans, from Kur? The Hebrew commentator Yahi paraphrases the text as, From the sons of Noah you came as the rest of the nations. In other words, you are like all other human beings in respect to your origin and your propensity for sin. However, this seems like an unlikely interpretation given that the latter clause denotes Israel's uniqueness among the nations and God's deliverance of Israel from several of her enemies, even so far as inferring her future deliverance from the approaching Assyrian and Babylonian captivities. Therefore, it's the Targum which best understands this text when it writes, Are you not reckoned as beloved children before me, O house of Israel? The best understanding of this verse is that Israel is not like the children of Ethiopia or any other nation for that matter. To the contrary, God has chosen Israel to be his peculiar people, set apart, delivered, free for freedom. Verse 8 reads, Behold, now pay attention. The eyes of the Adonai, yud are on the kingdom of sin, and I will destroy her from upon the face of the earth. Ceasing, nevertheless, I will not utterly eliminate the peculiar house of Yaakov, declares yud The Hanei refrain calls Israel to attention once more. The next phrase reads, The eyes of the Adonai, yud are on the kingdom of sin. We note that Adonai's eyes here are on the kingdom of sin and not on the kingdom of Israel as a whole. This is equivalent to reading Adonai's eyes are on the sins of Israel. The all-seeing, omnipresent nature of God is emphasized. I will destroy her from upon the face of the earth, reads the next clause. The her here is the kingdom of sin. That is, those who are practicing a lifestyle of wickedness within Israel. We know that this does not denote the elimination of all Israel because of the following clause, which reads, Ceasing nevertheless, for I will not utterly eliminate the peculiar house of Yaakov. The righteous remnant of Yaakov, synonymous with Israel, are called peculiar, unique, unusual, and Adonai's wrath is predetermined to cease so as not to eliminate the entire ethnic religious people of Israel, whom he has chosen for his own possession. Let's remind ourselves of what the prophet Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, says while Israel is in exile. Jeremiah 30.10 reads, Then fear not, O Yaakov, my servant, declares yod nor be dismayed, O Yisrael, for behold, now pay attention, 
I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Yaakov shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Verse 9 of Amos 9 reads, For behold, now pay attention. I with a command will shake all the nations and the peculiar house of Israel, as when sifting in a sieve, but not one kernel will fall to the ground. We note that the indictment prophesied in chapters 1 and 2 against the surrounding nations, Judah and Israel, has now come in full circle. The physical, historical, regional earthquake will shake all the nations of the Levant so that no matter where Israel is exiled, she too will be shaken and so all will be sifted like wheat and the wicked like chaff thrown on the fire will perish. But not one kernel of the righteous remnant of Israel will fall to the ground. Verse 10 reads, In the sword, death will come to all the sinners of my people, those who say no evil will overtake or come against us. This is very specifically the sinners of God's people who are being spoken of. They will be cut down by the sword of the invading armies. Death will come to those who have been willfully refusing to repent and have consistently turned away from God and toward evil. Those who qualify as being the sinners are those who, in spite of their lifestyles, are certain that they are blessed, even godly. They are safe. They are the ones who say no evil will overtake or come against us. Verse 11 reads, In that day I will raise up the specific fallen sukkah of David, and I will wall up its breaches, and its ruins I will raise up, and I will rebuild it because of the days of eternity. The day being spoken of here is far into the future. While Israel does return from exile and the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt by Nehemiah and Israel's spiritual path re-established by Ezra following the Babylonian exile, the city of Jerusalem was to be again destroyed. Therefore, while this prophecy may in part refer to Israel's return from the Babylonian exile, it is nonetheless not the ultimate goal of the prophecy. On the historical eve of Israel's disciplining, God speaks in his prophet Amos the yet future restoration of Israel, the re-establishment of the house and dwelling of King David through David's greater son, the King Messiah, and the repairing and eternal establishment of Yerushalayim. This is, of course, a reference to the King Messiah Yeshua, the preparation made among the Jewish people in the latter days, and the descending of the new Jerusalem when yud heh vav will Shakan dwell with his people, both Jewish and Gentile, forever, perpetually. We note that yud heh vav does all this, quote, because of eternity, that is, because of his redemptive love for humanity and the eternal dwelling of his majesty in relationship to the reconciled children of God among all nations, first for the Jew and also for the Gentile. 
Verse 12 says, For the purpose that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares yod mercy, who fashions this. What is the purpose of Israel's restoration? The purpose of Israel's restoration is the restoration of all those who are called by God's name, beginning with Yaakov's estranged brother Esau, Edom, and spreading throughout the world. Romans 11.15 says, For if Israel's rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? We note that it is yod heh vav who fashions this. Verse 13 reads, Behold, now pay attention. Days are coming, declares yod vav when the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the one who treads grapes will overtake the one who sows the seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine, and all the hills will melt. The days being spoken of here correspond to the establishment of David's tent in the King Messiah, David's greater son, and the restoration of Yerushalayim. The agricultural references describe processes that will precede and follow on from the entry of the righteous into the Olam Haba, the world to come. Verse 14 reads, I will return the captivity of my people Israel and rebuild the cities left desolate. They will live in them and plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. This prophecy has been fulfilled in significant ways at least twice in the history of Israel to date, but it will find its ultimate fulfillment in the return of the Messiah and the return of all of the remnant of Israel in him. The resurgence of Israel in the establishment of the modern state in 1948 has seen the draining of swamps, the revitalizing of waterways, and replanting on a massive scale, all of this resulting in an increase in annual precipitation and the subsequent rainfall throughout the land of Israel over the last 74 years. The mention of vineyards and wine is symbolic of life, celebration, and prosperity. Finally, we conclude Sefer Amos with verse 15, which reads, And I will plant them in their land, and they will not be uprooted perpetually again from their land which I have given them, says Yudhe your God. While Israel was again uprooted following her return from Babylon and subsequently returned some 2,000 years after the exile which resulted following the Roman desecration of the land, this prophecy does not say they will not be uprooted, but they will not be uprooted perpetually. In other words, there will be a final fulfillment of this prophecy that places Israel in the land eternally. The covenant for the land of Israel is made first with Abraham and then restated over Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's descendants. It is a covenant which is entirely incumbent on God because Abraham was unconscious when it was ratified through blood. It's recorded in Genesis 15. We're reminded that this covenant is spoken again over Isaac and Jacob 
and the entire people of Israel by the psalmist in Psalm 105, 6-11. The establishment of Israel's eternal possession of the land will of course come about at the redemption of the entire remnant of the ethnic, religious Jewish people at the return of the King Messiah and convergent with the Olam Haba, the world to come. Let's finish by reading Psalm 105, 6 to 11, and Romans 11, 25 to 27. First, the psalm. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Yaakov, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God, his judgments are on all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed to Yaakov for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. And Romans 11:25 to 27 reminds us of something very important. For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own eyes, that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Deliverer shall come out of Sion, he shall turn away ungodliness from Yaakov, and this is my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. Baruch Hashem. Thank you for joining me for this series on Sefer Amos. We look forward to doing a new series on the book of Yaakov, the book of James, coming up shortly. But before we do that, I'm going to do a teaching on the traditions, uh, both ancient and modern, of Hebrew betrothal and marriage and how it relates to our eternal security in the King Messiah, Yeshua. The notes for today's episode can be found on our webpage under the heading Yaakov's Commentary. Simply type in Amos 9 and the article that corresponds to this podcast will come up. Thanks again for joining me. Shalom Lechem.